Welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing awful, as we've <laughs> as we've discussed. I yes. can't. You know, that's not, we, that's not entirely true, because I've seen some uh, movies that have truly made me feel better about the world and made me realize that, like, there's still uh, beauty and hope and all of that stuff. But um, I'm in a pretty, I'm pretty much in an ongoing funk uh, of depression and anger uh, since the election. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to address that a little bit. Okay. Uh, at least a very small, specific sliver of it. Uh, yes, that actually does have to do with movies, I guess, or at least celebrity. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm going to be complaining about my own uh, my own people here for a moment. Uh, <laughs> Wasps? Yeah, kind of. Um, <laughs> but no, you mean uh, conservatives in this case. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so here's the deal. Um, recently, uh, there was a video on YouTube released of various celebrities, uh, making a plea to Republican electors, uh, to write in somebody else's name aside from Donald Trump, um, so that he would get less than 200, less than 270 electoral votes, which means it would then go to the house of representatives to decide who they want to be president. Um, so that's that's the plea and if you've seen any of these videos before you know the format it is white background the celebrities are standing there by themselves staring into the camera they're all saying the same paragraph but it's cutting back and forth between them and every once in a while it will take one specific phrase and you'll get like five different people saying it one right after another it's it's the way they've been doing it for I don't know, it's practically a genre at this point. Yeah. Um, and so, at a, after a certain point, like the videos start to kind of parody themselves, especially because one of these was released during the campaign of more celebrities talking about how imperative it is to stop Donald Trump, but they're making an appeal to the voters. Like, okay, well, now that the voters have voted, okay, let's do another one going after the electors. Like, okay, well, once he gets the ele- electoral votes okay, uh, cut to a few months from now. It's like, okay, chief justice, of the Supreme court, uh, don't swear him in. Don't swear him in. Don't swear him in. Um, so, but that's actually not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is that, uh, this is a, a thing that I have these days. There's not much that will pull a, uh, pull me into an internet comment section. Uh-huh. Um, as we all know, VidAngel. Uh, always right. will, which by the way, they recently were on the wrong side of a lawsuit and they have to shut down for a while. Huh? Yeah. Um, they're appealing and that sort of thing. So, uh, that's, that's its own story. Uh, but yeah, this, there's something tremendously bothersome to me about the Republican response to celebrities. Uh, now, I recognize that the vast majority of celebrities are left-leaning, uh, to say the least. So, I get that. Uh, but... Well, this... Because I, because I know what you're going to say, this might be kind of a chicken-the-egg situation, but we'll see. Sure, absolutely. Um, but what bothers me is that on their way to dismissing a celebrity opinion, uh, political opinion, they will denigrate the celebrity's celebrity status or their artistic ability. And so, for example, there was a, I watched, uh, 
a conservative video of, of a guy who I don't like anyway, uh, commenting on this video. And he's talking about like all these C and D level celebrities. And I'll admit some of them I don't recognize. Uh, they might be, you know, so I, there's that argument to be made, but it's something they say all the time. They'll talk about like an older actor as a has been or something like that. And off. And I recognize that you and I are more engaged with Hollywood than, than most people in general. So like we will recognize certain actors that other people probably won't. So I'll take that into account as well. But you know, in this, uh, in this commentary now, obviously it starts with Martin Sheen. He recognizes Martin Sheen, but then like he goes through and there's Deborah messing and he goes, I don't even really know who that is. It's like, I recognize she's not the highest level celebrity, but it's Deborah messing. I know who it is. (laughs) Yeah. And then it, then it shows James Cromwell. Okay. I get it. He's not super well known. It's an Oscar nominee, but whatever. Uh, but then, so he's just going through talking about like, I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. Who is that? You know? Well, then it gets to Bob Odenkirk uh-huh. and he goes, see like, who is that? And it's like that. Sorry. I just, I, I just hit the table. It's like, that is Saul Goodman from breaking bad. Uh, not to mention better call Saul who was just nominated for an Emmy for that, but also breaking bad. One of the most popular shows of my lifetime and maybe ever. And for you to say, who is that in your attempt to, uh, dismiss this person's opinion, you're showing your own cultural irrelevance. And that's, this is what, uh, what I meant about the chicken and the egg thing is that I think, conservatives have set themselves up have painted themselves as so consistently arrogantly anti-culture and anti-art yeah that um it, it now now it's it, it's it's fed back to to where uh it's it seems like art is now the the uh uh the arena for, uh, an arena of that's only for liberals sure because they've 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 set it up that way uh and so it um it's not just them being smug about i don't know who bob odenkirk uh is uh what it's translating to the viewers or listeners or readers or whatever is saying uh if you are one of the people who know who this is you're uh worthy of mockery that you're not a serious person um because art is not a serious pursuit culture is not serious and you know what here's the thing if they i don't necessarily read read that in the comments in 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 their comments that's not necessarily my interpretation of it if they were to say why is why is an actor lecturing me you know they're just an actor they're not actually more important than i am Mm -hmm. okay that i get yeah nobody would begrudge them their opinion but acting is the, but you know, they could say like, oh, they're making, you know, they're, they're trying to use their fame. They're trying to use what they have in order to make a difference. That's the most anybody can do. So there you go. But what, but then it, it gets deeper, you know, um, there is a, a, a conservative, uh, talk radio host who I consistently do not care for. Um, and, but he, but video clips of him will often be suggested to be my YouTube <laughs> while I'm watching speakers that I do like. Uh, and so there was one where it was a few years ago when that movie promised land came out, um, that Matt Damon was in about uh-huh. fracking. Uh, and he 
decided to like go off on that movie and then go off on Matt Damon. And so he's like, Oh, this, you know, this hack, this, whatever. It's like, Nope, sorry. (laughs) You've lost me. Mm -hmm. I probably don't agree with Matt Damon on anything. However, rather than argue his points, you're going to make the argument that he's not a good actor. You have lost. You've lost this argument. There are hundreds of hours of evidence of him being a good actor. (laughs) Yeah. And just like, and what's more is, and this is where it might get a little bit philosophical. Like you make, there's, there's a regular argument made in, in the conservative world that if a business doesn't do, if, if, uh, if the CEO of a business doesn't do something you like, but you still like their product, go ahead and enjoy their product. It's fine. It's your choice. Uh-huh. You know, not everybody has to do what you like, but if they do something else that you like, you can acknowledge that. Um, like there was a, a, a commentator who bought, uh, I forget a very specific type of very nice car, uh, but it's not American. And so like, there are a lot of conservatives who are like, why, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you buy American? He's like, because this is a car I wanted. So I bought it. <laughs> that's how it works. And so, um, that's funny. And so like, that's the thing is just like when you, when you denigrate somebody's ability in the field that they are a professional in, mm-hmm because of their opinion. Now you look ignorant, you know? And the other thing that I, that I was talking to you about, uh, beforehand, um, is that, uh, <laughs> sorry, I just got a text from friend of the show, Paul Goble, um, about survivor. So, uh, the, the thing that I was telling you about is you're, you know, uh, a while ago, somebody was uh, Richard Dreyfus had made uh, some public statement. And even though his politics don't align with mine, I've found him to be actually one of the more reasonable voices uh, politically, like in his tone, because his tone is usually, Hey, uh, let's all be civil to each other for a while. How about yeah. that? Um, and so in the yeah, I'm con- a big Richard Dreyfus, yeah, in that, I, in that sense, I always enjoy what he has to say, even if I don't agree with it, because he's just very, very articulate and very witty and all that kind of thing. And so, um, this person, so people in the comments section said like, ah, this guy, this, you know, this has been this, whatever. And this is what drew me into the co- the comment section where I basically said, Richard Dreyfus is not a has been. He was in, I think I said close encounters, American graffiti, the goodbye girl and jaws. And I said, nobody in jaws is irrelevant. Even people that are dead. Mm-hmm. They are more relevant than anybody here talking, including me, including the, uh, including, um, uh, the, the, like the editors of this site, like Richard Dreyfus for being a part of these films that are timeless and that people will watch long after all of us are gone. Uh, they are more relevant to people's lives than any, than almost any politician, uh, Republican or Democrat. And just like, you don't, you don't agree with him. That's fine. Neither do I, but let's be honest with ourselves intellectually about who these people actually are. I'm with you. And, uh, so it's just, I don't know. It's, it's something that really bothered me. And it, and it's something that I, I was either going to take to Facebook or here to to talk about it. And so I chose here. you You went deeper about it than I had, I had thought about it, which I'm glad you did. Um, it just reminded me of, well, there was a, uh, I remember this is forever ago, but I want to say it was Rush Limbaugh who, uh, insisted that, um, 
the low, the 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 poor box office results of Steven Soderbergh's Solaris remake were because people were sick of George Clooney's liberal views, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is so stupid. Uh, but then it also reminded me of, and this had nothing to do with politics at all, just um, just disliking something. Uh, but when Arcade Fire won the best album Grammy, okay, uh, Rosie O'Donnell tweeted that she'd never even heard of Arcade Fire, and I was like, Rosie O'Donnell, that makes you look dumb. Yeah, like that's not uh, that's not an argument. That's just you like being, uh, you know, uh, just recalcitrant and uh, stubborn. Yeah. When I mentioned, I can't. Those words mean the same thing. Was it uh, was it Kate Bush? That we were talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't even remember who we were talking about. But when I say, oh, I actually don't really know who that person is or any of their artistic output, that's me. That's a reflection of me. That's not. And also, if you haven't heard of, if you haven't heard of somebody that is famous, that doesn't mean that they're not famous, that it doesn't mean that they're not famous or in the, in the circles in which they are famous, that it's somehow less legitimate because you haven't heard of them. Yeah. You know, if I were to say like Kate Bush, I haven't heard of her. So why are we even talking about her? It's just like yeah. that, that basically requires everybody to limit themselves to what they already know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you, you don't know things and then you know them and then you act on that knowledge <laughs> and that's how you live life. So how many Kate Bush records did you go out and buy? Three. <laughs> um, all right, let's pay some bills. Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, this episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a handpicked selection of the best independent international and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $5.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. All right. David, we were recently talking about James Whale's Frankenstein films. Now on movie, you can watch his 1939 adaptation of Alexander Dumas's The Man in the Iron Mask, which is, you know, I, I want people to to uh, seek that out. It features um, Alan Hale, not Junior, not the guy from uh, Gilligan's Island, but Alan Hale from uh, uh, The Adventures of Robin Hood. Uh, it plays uh, Porthos. Uh, but here's the here's something that I that they asked me to like really hit is that uh, we are happy to announce that movie uh, the movie channel is officially live on Roku so uh, those of you who have Roku players you can now try movie and you can try it for the first uh, where the first month is free so here's how you do it you go to movie.com that's m-u-b-i.com slash battleship and you can get that first month free and I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com, which is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. We use them uh, all the time uh, and we stand by them and they're available at a low, low price over at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that already low, low price and no shipping charges. So go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. 
All hail old women. Wiser Than Me Season 2 is out now from Lemonada Media. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. It's it's beginning to look something like Christmas. Yeah, uh, not a lot like Christmas here. You yeah. know what? I mean, I've been in Los Angeles long enough. Um, this is my, good God, my 11th Christ- Christmas in Los Angeles. Because, That's about right, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I haven't spent all of them here, but I've spent a number of them here. Um, that my definition of what looks like Christmas has changed to meet Los sure. Angeles. Um, cause the decorations are up, whether the snow on the ground or not, or whether it's even that yeah. cold. I mean, uh, it did get like on the chillier side last week, but even like today it was gloomy, but it was still in the sixties, I think. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't bad at all. Um, I'm but going, it, I'm going to Minnesota for Christmas and, uh, Jen today said, she goes, Hey, guess how cold it is in Minnesota right now. And I said, zero. She goes, you're very close. And I said, <laughs> am I high? And she's like, no you're a little low. And I said, is it one? And she said, it is one. It is that's, one degree. That's fun. How long are you going to go? Uh, just five days. Okay. That's about probably about as much as I like, uh, yeah. want like, I, I, I do miss the cold sometimes and I like going back, yeah. but, um, there's a, you know, a whole winter of it. Uh, it, yeah. uh I, I don't, I, I'm glad I live in Los Angeles now. I miss, you know what? I miss the cinematic cold. Like, Cold in Chicago seemed very movie-like. Cold uh-huh. in Minnesota is just intolerable. <laughs> uh, but Christmas in Los Angeles is a, is a blast. Um, uh, Freeways are open. Uh, free, yeah, especially when, yeah, when you get to actual Christmas time, it's, it's great. Um, uh, I don't know how much time you've spent around Christmas walking around Beverly Hills. Not uh, much. But they, they go all out. You know, they get, mm. you got uh, at the... At the corner of uh, Wilshire Boulevard and Beverly Drive, which is where the Beverly Wilshire Hotel is. Mm. Um, so I've heard. <laughs> um, technically, it's not right on the corner. Um, now I have to go back to the movie journal and uh, correct myself again. It's not right on the corner. It's actually more on the corner of Wilshire and Rodeo. Um, but anyway, at that intersection, they've got a big like flying Santa, Cro- Santa Claus and reindeer like across the intersection. They've got lights and garlands. And what's most important is that on the palm trees, when you walk around the main shopping district, they have little speakers playing Christmas music all day oh. and not, not, not too loud, like just enough to make it a pleasant walk around nice. Beverly Hills. Uh, it's, it's nice. I, uh, do you ever find that you like something that you kind of hate yourself for liking? Uh, constantly. <laughs> okay. Like I feel like Beverly Hills should represent everything that I'm against. I'm a little it, surprised. Yeah. That um, you like it as much as you do, but it's like, it Beverly Hills is a delightful place to visit. I wouldn't want to live there. Um, sure. And I do, it is also part of like, I wouldn't have known this like six years ago, but, uh, now that I'm a semi-professional film critic in Los Angeles, if you're a film critic, you end up spending a lot of time in Beverly Hills because weirdly a lot of the screening rooms are, are are there. There's the, the Wilshire, there's the real D and there's the Rodeo, which were all, are all within like a quarter mile of each other. Formerly Um, the, uh, right? Yes. Um, uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's interesting how much time I spend in Beverly Hills now. Um, how did we get, how did we get here? It's the most wonderful time of the year. Yeah. We're talking about Christmas movies, but we're not talking about Christmas. Movies. Oh, here's what we're going to explain yourself. We, we talked, we actually talked, this was a pre-show topic a little bit a, a year ago or a more specific version of this. We talked about how often awards movies 
you know, mm-hmm. that come out around Christmas time seem to have bits of Christmas popping up in them. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we talked about it because of, uh, we're talking about joy, uh, Carol, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure we talked about it, but it was joy that made me think of it. Yeah. Um, cause it's, it doesn't seem like it's like, it just seems like a weird coincidence that there's so often Christmas in these, in these movies, but really there's a lot of movies that include Christmas cause yeah. Christmas is cinematic. Uh, and so what we're going to talk about here is movies that you wouldn't describe as Christmas movies, but that contain Christmas. Now, admittedly that is subjective. Sure. Cause when I, when I, when I Googled, you know, to see what other people had come up with, um, there are a couple that popped up. Um, that I think of as Christmas movies. Uh, now it's become at this point, it's mock. It's, it's stupid when people try to be like clever by saying die hard's my favorite Christmas movie. Cause at this point it's not clever anymore. Die hard's just a Christmas movie. Get over it. And it is in fact, one of my favorite Christmas movies, but I'm not trying to be like clever or unexpected by, by that. I think of die hard as a Christmas movie. And I also think of gremlins as a Christmas movie. I don't think of either of them as non Christmas movies with Christmas stuff. Another one is the ref, but that's a less common movie. Now, uh, die hard. I'm okay. So, here's what I think we need to do. We need to define what a Christmas movie is in order to talk about what it isn't. Okay. Like um, what makes Die Hard a Christmas movie aside from the fact that it takes place at Christmas? Cause that's not enough. Uh, yeah. It, Christmas is the, in a sense, it's almost the, uh, it's not the inciting incident. It's before it's like a pre inciting incident. Okay. Christmas is the reason that these people are where they are when they are. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and I think there, I honestly think there also has to be an arc. Uh, and I think at the end people need to be together, whatever mm-hmm. that might be. It could be John McClane being together with his wife that he's kind of estranged from. Uh, it could be, you know, at the end of bad Santa, this little makeshift family being together. Um, yeah. And so I feel like that's, and when you want, if you go back to, you know, a, a Christmas Carol, it's, lonely Ebenezer Scrooge being together with people. Um, so I, I think that's, I think they all have to end a very specific way. Um, and, then, and I think that's and, why die hard, die hard works. And, um, just in terms of from beginning to end, die hard starts with him carrying a toy for his yeah. kid, uh, you know, a present, a Christmas present onto a plane, the, the stuffed, uh, bear, mm-hmm. um, and it ends with let it snow over the closing credits, yeah. which is like, I saw die hard young enough. It was the first R rated movie I ever saw. And it is to this day, the movie that I've seen more times than any other movie. Long time listeners know that. Um, but to this day, when I hear let it snow, I think of die hard. It's just like, I, it's completely, uh, they're completely fused in, do you think in my mind. Do you think the use of it is meant to be ironic? Cause it takes place in a, pl- uh, in a location <laughs> where it will not be snowing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, and it's, um, the, because yeah, the, the, the first line is the weather outside is frightful yeah. when really it's Los Angeles and outside is where they've been trying to get the entire yeah. movie. The fact that they're outside, yeah. that they're out of the building yeah. is a reason for triumph. Yeah, since we've no place to go, it's like, no, I've got somewhere to be. It's not here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but you don't think of gremlins as a Christmas movie? I don't, uh, except I, I guess I do sort of everybody does wind up together, but they weren't necessarily separate, you know? Um, yeah, I, I, I think gremlins could have taken place at any other time. I don't, I I think, uh, especially if you read about, um, Chris Columbus, original, like super R rated script for gremlins, which is a super dark comedy. I think there was, uh, it's very 
key to the movie to contrast these little gremlins killing everyone with uh, such a warm and pleasant you know, family holiday. I think that, and that isn't just a one-off joke that I think okay. happens throughout the movie. Okay. So you're, t- you're talking about not necessarily narratively, but almost not necessarily thematically, aesthetically, aesthetically. Yeah. That yeah. It's that Christmas is imperative to the gremlins being so much more troublesome because I guess when you, if you want to look at it, it's like we do associate elves, cute little elves with Christmas. Uh-huh. And these are, a much worse version of demonic elves. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. You got me. Uh, okay. So you have a a very long list. I only have a few movies. I'm not going to get to all of these because some of them are just like things I thought of that like, Oh, technically go has Christmas in it, but I don't really have any, uh, I don't associate it with Christmas. Yeah. But where's a, uh, who does one of the guy wears a Christmas, like a Santa hat at one point in the movie, which I don't recall. Um, it's, I've only seen it once. It was a long time ago. I saw it with you. Yeah. I think, Um, I think, the, the you know the non Christmas movies that we're talking about um, are such that when you mention oh well this t- this movie takes place at Christmas the person listening would be like oh yeah I guess it does yeah you know see, this is the, this is why I like having this conversation because there's there's a lot of gray area because um, uh, trading places is the very first one on my list yeah um, and that's not one that you'd go oh yeah because there is a big part of it is like the Christmas party. Right. Dan Aykroyd dressed as Santa Claus, but I don't think of it as a Christmas movie. No, I don't either. Uh, and so I wonder why, why that is, why we don't think of it as a Christmas movie. We do with Die Hard and I do with gremlins. Yeah. I, I, I do think that Christmas needs to be a very imperative part of the story. Trading places could have taken place. I think they, they exploit Christmas imagery but it could have just, I don't know. It's, I think it has less to do with, uh, for me, at least personally, this is all subjective. I think it has more to do with the, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, the, the ever presence is another word I'm looking for, um, of Christmas, you know, in, in Die Hard and Gremlins, like Christmas is always there. Yes. Whereas the, there's a Christmas section of trading places, even most of the movie, it takes place over, uh, fairly long time. And most of the movie takes place in the winter. Yeah. It's cold the whole movie, but uh, only one section is really the Christmas section. All right. Based on that, would you, here's, here's my thing. Okay. I don't think it's a wonderful life as a Christmas movie. That's well, that's uh is that a new thing? That's an extra textual thing to, to, to go back to last week. You think so? Topic at this point, it's been we've been we've been told that it's a Christmas movie so much that it's yeah, a Christmas movie. It is, but um, when you watch it, but if you were to not knowing its reputation, were to watch it, no, you wouldn't think of it's a wonderful life as a Christmas movie. Yeah, it's. I mean, he does run through the town saying "Merry Christmas," this "Merry Christmas," that. So, the, so there is that, but and it does end with togetherness. But his his existential crisis is not a function of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know. And, and the, and the film ends with them singing, you know, all the anxiety, like it's, they've actually moved beyond Christmas (laughs) at that point. So I don't know. It's, uh, but you're right. Like that one, just culture has said, this is a Christmas. This is the Christmas movie. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I guess it doesn't matter what I say. Uh, now I'm trying to think if there's any others that would fall under, uh, uh, under that where, where, where there's some, some gray area. 
Um, I'll tell you which one, even though Trading Places is first on my list, the the one that made me want to talk about this topic um, is the the Harry Potter series. And this is sure. a little bit colored by my having read the books because I think it's even more prevalent in the books. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, each Harry Potter story has Christmas in it. It's a it's a it's just a part of. Yeah, it definitely plays a big role in the earlier films because they're more kid right, oriented. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it like, it's to the point where, um, the Harry Potter theme, which I've talked about how much I love, uh, the Harry Potter theme makes me think of Christmassy type feelings. Um, maybe it's cause it has sort of the high pitched chime type sound to it that you associate with, uh, with Christmas. Um, but, uh, I do think, I think part of that is a, um, a British thing because I think, um, uh, my, Im- my impression, and I've heard, I think I've heard, I've heard people say this before as well, or any British listeners could, uh, you know, chime in in the, in the comments, but, um, I, Christmas in, in a way might be even more important in the UK than it is in America because we have Thanksgiving and in a way mm. Christmas is the whole thing for them. <laughs> you yeah. know you know what I mean? It's, it's Thanksgiving and Christmas in one. Hmm. And so, um, uh, it's such a part of Harry's story, the the togetherness that you're talking about, right? Um, that he never had with the Dursleys, uh, he has with the with the Weasleys and yeah. with and with uh, Hermione, um, and, and I think that uh, I think there is a sort of British like family take on Christmas that is very important to Harry Potter. Yeah, as I was thinking about these, I did have this thought of like, okay, well, if these movies aren't about Christmas, why do they take place at Christmas, or at least part of them? Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it's because because so many other movies that are about Christmas uh, have imprinted themselves on the culture, and the big thing is, I we're, we're going to keep using the term togetherness. So if you have characters if you're going to have a character who is not with anyone, then if you have part of their, uh, part of their story take place at Christmas, that really underlines, uh, that really underlines how alone they are. Um, you know, there's a, there's this scene actually, um, uh, was, uh, emphasized in the AV club recently, a scene from catch me if you can. Oh yeah. Yeah. Where, uh, where Tom Hanks is working alone in the office on Christmas and then Leonardo DiCaprio calls him and they have this back and forth conversation and, and there comes a moment where Tom Hanks says, he goes, Oh, I know why you called me now. You have no one, you have no one to call. Mm -hmm. And there's like, and it's actually a very, it it sounds almost sinister when he says it and the joy he takes in rubbing that in. Uh, and DiCaprio like hangs up immediately because he is hit on something. Mm -hmm. But of course, Tom Hanks is also alone on Christmas. Um, and so, you know, sometimes the movies will really underline it like that. And like you said, with Harry, he has no home to go to. And even if he did go home, it's not a happy Christmas uh, for him. Yeah. So I think in non Christmas movies, the role that Christmas plays is that it underscores character as opposed to become, you know, uh, what characters react to. 
Um, if I'm, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but uh, yeah, I, I, I see what you mean. Um, I want to talk about Christmas used ironically. Okay. Um, and there's, there's, there's two sort of types I want to talk about. There's the sort of darkly comic irony of setting something, you know, dark and violent, like kiss, kiss, bang, bang sure. around Christmas time. I think that's, uh, something, but then there's also a more sad dramatic irony, uh, and this is where I want to bring up Kramer versus Kramer, which has hmm. Christmas in it, which is, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about togetherness and family and this is a movie about divorce. Yeah. Um, and Christmas only, uh, serves to, uh, highlight, um, mm-hmm. what, you know, how, how this, this family doesn't fit into, uh, to those ideals and, how, and maybe, maybe makes you think about, uh, uh, how Christmas might affect a lot of people who don't uh, yeah. don't have the people they used to have or, or don't have what they're told Christmas is supposed to supposed to be. Yeah, I feel like there's I don't know if Valentine's Day has become that, but there is there are movies that are not necessarily Valentine's Day movies, but. I don't know the idea of somebody being alone on Valentine's Day, uh, you know, and alone, romantically alone, mm-hmm. um, is a big part of of certain of movies of what could be called Valentine's Day movies. Uh, like what? Like uh, Valentine's Day? Like the movie Valentine's Day? I never saw uh, it. But then, um, but maybe they're but maybe they're not. Uh, maybe they wouldn't be considered Valentine's Day movies simply because uh, first off, it just takes too long to say. Uh, as I'm <laughs> realizing now, yeah. And you can't say V Day <laughs> movies because that means something else. Right. Oh boy. I love those movies. Uh, no, it's, um, because I think it just, because of its association with romance, um, it just winds up being part of a larger genre, which is just romantic comedy. But usually someone like either wanting to be alone on Valentine's day and defiantly being that, or they're sad to be alone. That plays into a larger thing in which the holiday is being used for something. Those would not, those films would not be considered, as about Valentine's day. And so I, along those lines, I would say that yes, Christmas being used to underscore something larger, um, as opposed to being the thing itself, I think is, is a good example of what you're talking about with Kramer versus Kramer. Uh, and now I want to bring up another one that I want to get your opinion before I say what I think. Okay. Do you think the use of Christmas in this movie is meant to be ironic or not? Edward Scissorhands. Um, no, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Um, and I'll say why, um, because I think the, the superficial take on Edward Scissorhands, uh, which is a great movie by the way. Um, but the, the superficial take, which isn't wrong. It's just, it's just shallow, uh, is that it's a satire of, um, you know, uh, American suburban life. Right. Um, which, you know, those are, you know, you can't, you can't swing a dead cat in a video store, um, because there's no video stores left, um, <laughs> without hitting a satire of the suburbs. Although you'll have okay. to swing a dead cat at a red box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's put a pin in that. I was up in Ventura, California hey, all right, recently. My, my old stomping ground. Did you ever go to Salzer video? No. Well, it's still there and it's amazing. It was like, I was like, I stepped into a time machine. It was like a video store that is still going and it's still a video store. There's one right by you. Um, there's one on Woodman and Van Owen. 
called, well, it's called star video. You should look up Salzer video because it's such a great throwback with like pink neon running nice. around the, uh, the thing it's, uh, I, uh, I loved it anyway. Okay. Back to Edward Scissorhands. So yes, it is that it is a satire of that sort of thing, but it's also like we've talked about, you can't satire a parody, something that, uh, well without actually having a lot of, uh, love for it. And when yes. you know, again, to get it extra textual about it, when you know about where Tim Burton grew up, which is in Burbank, California, in this yeah. perfect, you know, the idealized post-war suburbs community, yeah. you know, you see how much of his affection is in there um, for this suburban life. And then I think when you get to the Christmas section of Edward Scissorhands and you realize, okay, yes, he, not only did he grow up in a perfect suburban community um, or perfect seeming, you know, quote unquote, perfect suburban community, he grew up in Southern California. Yeah. So the fact that the, uh, the, the snow in Edward Scissorhands isn't real snow, right. you know, um, uh, I think, on one level could be seen as an ironic choice meant to sort of highlight the fakery of all uh, that's around. I'm not saying, and I'm not saying it's not that, but I also, you have to remember Tim Burton grew up somewhere where there wasn't snow at Christmas. Yeah. This is like I was talking about at the beginning of the episode. This is his idea of Christmas is that the lawn is still green and the sun is still shining. Yeah. Um, but, but that doesn't make it any less Christmas. Now, when you say, uh, snow- so I think I like uh, Edward Scissorhands more, uh, now that I've lived in Los Angeles. Oh yeah. And you know what? I probably haven't seen it since I've lived here. You should check it out. Now, let me ask you this. When you say that the snow in Edward Scissorhands is not real snow, what are you referring to? Uh, well, I'm talking about the, well, I, I get, at the very end it is, it has become yeah. real in yeah. a way, which um, is something I think is, is notable about the yeah, film. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, Ooh. but that, that it, section tends to, tends to get me all choked up. Sure. Although, Talk about oh this is something we talked about in the movie journal. Never mind. Uh, bad old age makeup. Um, yeah, it doesn't take me out of the movie because the movie is good, but uh, it is rough. The on one writer there, and just the uh, and and honestly, uh, I don't I don't think I would consider Edward Scissorhands a Christmas movie just because Christmas is not it's it's one section. Yeah, but it's it is a, a, a an important section because this is a family that and he, that he's being brought into. So he is being invited into a certain togetherness. Um, and then you also have delightful Alan Arkin, uh, you know, yeah. s- basically stapling, uh, d- is he stapling the fake snow to the roof or is he just right. setting it there? Yeah, no, he, he has a, the staple yeah. gun. That's right. <laughs> and singing uh, Christmas songs. Where are you going, Ed? Is that what he says? <laughs> yeah. Like that's that? right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I like when the son tries to wash off the scissors and Alan Arkin's like, Oh, what are you doing? That's a terrible idea. <laughs> well, and let me ask you this. <laughs> so, when he says, where are you going, Ed? Uh-huh. It's funny. Yeah. But Edward Scissor, Edward in that moment is like rushing away to something very urgent. And Alan Arkin, the suburban dad preparing for Christmas is delightfully oblivious to uh-huh. it. And so while I think there is a great deal of affection for Diane Weist and, and Alan Arkin, they are seen as just like, they're so busy preparing for Christmas that they're actually blind to the things that are going on. Right. And so I wonder if there's a, if there is maybe an ironic element to it. Yeah. Not, I'm not, not, fully I'm not ironic, saying it's but, not there, but I'm saying there's more to it. And yeah. that's, that's the case with all good movies. Yeah. Um, okay. No, uh, yeah, uh, got, got some good stuff out of that. Okay. <laughs> um, 
Now I want to go back to Carol. Okay. Um, because I've, uh, you know, I've heard people say that Carol is a Christmas movie. Um, and my, my, um, my rule of ever presence is pretty close. Like Christmas mm-hmm. is there a lot in, in Carol. Yeah. And I mean the idea of it's, it's what they, it's not necessarily, you mentioned it as like a catalyst, uh, yeah. of sorts. Yeah, that's and I, true. I'd say it is, um, you know, shopping is part of Christmas and that's what brings them together. And, uh, there is togetherness at the end. Admittedly, it's, it's a romantic togetherness and not a familial one. Um, mm-hmm. but that's, uh, I don't think I would consider it a Christmas movie because it falls so squarely into other genres. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I could see the argument for it, but I don't necessarily consider it that. Um, I'm really drawing a blank on that word. I keep saying ever present, but what is the word when something is everywhere? It's omnipresent. Omnipresent. Okay. Is the word I was looking for. Yes. Omnipresent. Um, okay. Uh, and then I had another one here and I forgot what it was. Oh man. Oh, well, well, you got it on your list there. You just uh, look yeah, at your I list. Remember, and I can't remember which one it was that I wanted oh, okay. to talk about that also like has a lot of Christmas in it. Um, and I, I now can't remember. What, oh, uh, Brazil is another movie. That's right. That is way more Christmassy than you remember. Well, there's more Christmas in it. I don't know if I'd say it was Christmas. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe that. Yeah, that's um, the right way to say it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I forgot about that one. That's true. Um, and it really and that could be, I think, an ironic use of of Christmas. And by could be, I mean absolutely is. <laughs> yeah. Um, not a an ounce of doubt. But uh, yeah, the most like um, I, I think traditional recognizable picture of Christmas you get is with like Michael Palin and his kids and he's the worst person in the movie. Yeah. It's, I think there's just something there. There's a real cringe factor to the idea that people in this world celebrate Christmas to the degree that they can celebrate anything. But, um, it's like, Oh, you leave Christmas alone. (laughs) Stop it. Uh, but yeah. And I think that speaks to, you know, it, but yeah, it's using Christmas to underscore, the the delusional quality of these people's lives that they can trick themselves into believing they're living good lives because like oh well hey christmas is coming up oh boy now we can ignore the horrible reality for a while um but uh we've already hit on uh, a fair number of my okay yeah uh, films name one you haven't because i want to get to one that i have i mean the can convince myself actually is a christmas movie but we'll, okay we'll um the big one for me, I would say is the, the first place my mind goes with this topic is Batman returns. Oh, that's on my list. Yeah. Uh, which is something I actually, I, I didn't mention it on my, on the, on the movie journal, but I sort of rewatched it real quick. The word I was looking for omnipresent is good. Ubiquitous is the word I was looking for. Oh boy. Yeah. Ubiquitous. Okay. Um, I had a thesaurus.com that shit. (laughs) Oh boy. Uh, while I was writing my paper, the source got a lot of work. Um, so, uh, I threw a lot of business their way while I was writing my paper, but, um, <laughs> the, uh, so yeah, I, I rewatched, uh, the Tim Burton, Joel Schumacher, Batman movies, but I rewatched them with our commentaries cause I haven't actually listened to any of our commentaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was just like, Hey, these are pretty good. So by the way, everybody, if you're interested, uh, those commentaries are available and I stand by them. I think they're quite good. Um, 
but Batman Returns uh, is one that I've seen many times, and so I can definitely talk about the you know the the role that Christmas plays in it. Um, and it's the whole movie. I mean, it's it takes place during the winter. It starts during you know a tree lighting ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, you know uh, when they're trying to frame Batman, bat, uh, bats fly out of the tree. Um, the Red Triangle Gang first shows up as in a giant present, and then they burst, and then right. a nightmare yeah. bursts out of it. Um, but I do think that there's. I think this is maybe the best example of what I'm talking about, which is you have, uh, Selena Kyle, you have Bruce Wayne, you have these very lonely people who are trying to trying and failing to like connect with other people, or in some cases, maybe trying to be alone, but recognizing they want to be with someone else. And so they're just kind of struggling with that at a time of year when it's all about togetherness. But I do also view that view its use of Christmas, not unlike Brazil's use of Christmas. Now that you mention it, Mm -hmm. which is like Christmas in Gotham city. I mean, I'm sure everyone's happy, (laughs) but at the same time, (laughs) they're happy as can be in the literal (laughs) sense of that word. Absolutely. Uh, and so, um, so I, I really think that that's a great use of Christmas where, I mean, it is, yeah, it's not a section. It's the whole movie. I believe it's, I believe the last, uh, the last line of the film is, I think he says, Merry Christmas. And I think he says like goodwill towards men. Uh, and then he says, and women, cause he's talking about Catwoman. but, um, it's a, yeah, Christmas is like infused into that movie, but it is not a Christmas movie because they do not wind up together. There is no togetherness at the end of that film. It's, okay. it's very melancholy. That's going to be my transition into, I think the next candidate for the diehard status of the movie that people like cleverly point out as a Christmas movie that I think, eventually everyone will just recognize is a Christmas movie. Stanley Kubrick's eyes wide shut. Okay. So you do think it's a Christmas movie. I do think Christmas is ubiquitous. They end up together shopping for toys with, uh, with their daughter for, for Christmas. Uh, it's, I I think it's absolutely a Christmas movie. I don't consider it a Christmas movie just because there's so much of it is not, christmas at all like uh visually I, tonally i don't know but i mean i think it watch like Christ- it again and you might feel differently about that because you might notice uh when he goes to the other person the other like person's apartment when he makes a visit as a doctor or mm-hmm. when he goes to the nightclub or whatever i think uh and certainly when he's in the um the the shop in the middle of the night with lily sobieski like mm-hmm. there's christmas stuff all over the mise-en-scene I don't think there is at the creepy orgy. And I think it's at that point, it's like pointedly right. missing. Right. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess I can see it. It's, it just also feels like, uh, how dare you? How dare you bring <laughs> Christmas into this film? But, uh, I mean, the movie eventually is, I think I like where it ends up. Yeah. I think, I think it, um, necessarily takes a hard road to get there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I think, uh, it is, there is togetherness at the end of eyes wide shut. Well, there's definitely a, well, there's, a suggestion of it. Like, Hey, here's what we, sh- you know, what we should do is be together. That's the TV version of the last line. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, if you go by kill bill rules, it should be, you know, what we need to do party. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm not just going to quote Doug uh, Benson. That's one of my favorite bits of his is when uh, when he just he's, he's talking about the Kill Bill on TV and goes, my name is Buck and I like to party. <laughs> he's like, first off, if you're going to do that, why not just have his name be Marty? <laughs> yeah. Or it's like, my name is Marty and I like to party and just. Yeah, uh, that's, um, a, that's a very funny Doug Benson bit. Uh, it but it would be very funny if Nicole Kidman said party at the end <laughs> of Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I think you haven't 100% convinced me, but at the same time, I haven't seen Eyes Wide Shut in 17 years. I've seen it once. Oh, wow. You should yeah. definitely watch it again. It's yeah, I think I might good. have changed as a person since then, <laughs> uh, being a grown up as I am. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think I, I was 17 when I saw that movie. Um, I was 16 and I used someone else's ID to get in Oh, because I'm sure I've told this story on the podcast before, but this was, I mean, this was soon enough after Columbine, right? Mm-hmm. That, uh, cause you know how movies were to blame for Columbine. Obviously. Um, movie theaters were weirdly like cracking down on our, like for at least a couple months there for that, that summer. Cause Columbine would have been in May, right? Is that right? Uh, no, April. A- April. April, that's right. April 20th. Uh, right, my younger brother's birthday. Uh, and Hitler's birthday. Yeah. Um, uh, that's where the similarities end, by the way. Uh, my mm, I've met your brother. <laughs> He's pretty charismatic. <laughs> he could talk me into almost uh, anything. Um, uh, anyway, so yeah, I, I had to use um, someone else's uh, ID. His name was Ryan something. And he wasn't there. Uh someone else had his, it was a weird, uh, uh, confluence of events, but he looked like, he looked like me, uh, and yeah. it worked. I have my own version of that where Matt Bennett and I, uh, were going to go see a movie and I couldn't it's tell a friend my, of what you're saying it, like, people don't know who Matt Bennett is. Yeah, it's yeah, the guy we, yeah. yeah. Someone we knew. Um, but, uh, yeah. And my mom, my parents, while being pretty open-minded to my seeing kind of whatever I wanted, uh, I think word was out on eyes wide shut uh-huh. by then. Um, and I think they knew that there was, it was very sexually explicit, but I was not going to miss the opportunity to see a Stanley Kubrick movie in the theater. Uh-huh. And so, uh, we told my parents that we were going to go see wild, wild West <laughs> and, uh, instead went to see, uh, eyes wide shut. Uh, I still have wow. not seen wild, wild West. Uh, <laughs> uh, wow. Does your mom know that you, uh, lied about that? Uh, I don't think so, but, I'm sure it's fine. I, it's, it, there's, there's a long history of me lying to my parents about seeing one movie when I was seeing another, but the one that I say I'm seeing is infinitely more ridiculous. <laughs> like my parents, sh- you know what? My parents should have been like, Hmm, I just saw the insider. Like my dad could have been like, I just saw the insider with Tyler wild, wild West doesn't seem like his kind of movie, <laughs> you know? And in the same way, my brother and I went to see seven uh-huh. and we said, we're going to go see Richie rich <laughs> or no, the Indian. And in no, sorry. That one, we said, we were going to go see the Indian in the cupboard. Okay. And then we saw Lord of illusions, uh, and said we were going to see Richie rich. And they never asked you any details about Richie rich or no. wild, wild west. I they saw didn't. Richie rich and wild, wild west in the theater. I've never seen the Indian in the cupboard. I read the book. Um, I've seen Lord of illusions in seven. Yeah. Um, I didn't have that cause I didn't have an older brother. I didn't have anyone to, yeah. to give, give me an, I remember once, uh, I was in eighth grade when the craft came out oh, wow. uh, and it was like, everyone in my middle school was going to see the craft of course at the Clarkson six that Friday night. Um, and so everyone went 
to see the craft. Everyone bought a ticket for Flipper starring Paul Hogan. <laughs> Uh, but I was too late, uh, not too late to get a ticket to Flipper, but, um, we bought our tickets for Flipper, my, uh, my friend Eric and I, and we went to go into the theater for the craft and it was overflowing like fire hazard, like, because it was probably a sold out show of the craft Oh yeah. plus everyone who bought a ticket for Flipper. So people were sitting on the floor oh, wow. to watch the craft and we were like, we're not doing this. Uh, and guess then, we're seeing Flipper. No, we, we like went to go see Flipper. The movie, I think Flipper had already started. We walked in. There's like three people in the theater, uh, and then we walked up to the person and we were like, uh, "We made a mistake. We don't want to see this." And the guy was like, "You mean there's not enough room in the craft?" And we were like, "No, we just don't want to see Flipper." <laughs> and we were just shitty kids, and they gave us some money back. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I. I, I um, yeah, I don't have any any stories uh, like that uh, other than that, uh, and I never certainly never told my parents I was going to see another movie. Um, when I saw Wild Wild West in the theater, this is um, I don't want to. Okay, I don't want to sound like I'm uh, my my high school girlfriend and I. Mm. She wasn't super into movies, so when we'd go to the movies, I usually would pick what movie yeah. we'd see. Um, uh, and sometimes she liked the movie and sometimes she was like, uh, this is boring and she wouldn't go see anything that was too long with me. But yeah, one time she was like, let me pick the movie. Uh, and this is, again, I'm not saying she has bad taste. I'm right. saying this is someone who didn't really follow mm-hmm. movies. Right. And so she was like, let's go see wild, wild west. And of course, uh, we both hated it, yeah, uh, but I did see wild, wild west in the theater. Uh, you're a fool for love, David. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Richie Rich with my family. Sure. Yeah. I could, that Cause I have sense. younger siblings, even yeah. though I was probably too old at the time, I think yeah. for the age group for Richie Rich, probably my yeah. younger brothers were like right in the, in the target demographic. So we went as a family to see Richie Rich. Yeah. I was definitely, my brother was definitely outside the age group and I was outside the age group. Again, my parents, I think they were probably, being a grown up now, I recognize like, oh, my parents are probably way smarter than I thought they were. They're probably like, they're gonna, they're gonna go see something shitty. Yeah, uh, but whatever, it's fine. I'm just happy my kids aren't fighting. So okay, okay, back uh, to Christmas. Yeah, we mentioned the ref. That's a Christmas movie, absolutely. Yeah, right. Um, uh, yeah, I think so. I, I put it on this list uh, as a potential, but uh, I was more gonna throw it out and see what you thought. But you think it's one, so we're good. Yeah, let's do some. Uh, I got three black and white ones in a row. Okay. This one's fun. The thin man is a, is a, a Christmas movie, yeah. uh, which I had forgotten until I, uh, Googled this topic and saw what other people had said about it. Uh, but then a couple of real sad ones. Okay. There's the apartment. Yeah. And, oh. and there's, this one's not a Christmas movie. It's definitely part of the, it's just a small part of the story, but Stalag 17. Um, oh yeah. That's another sad one. Cause it's like, we're prisoners of war on Christmas. Yeah. Uh, this is awful. Yeah. As a put and, and Christmas does play a large part in some war movies, you know, I like, I believe, uh, like jarhead. Oh, I never um, saw that. But, uh, but it's not like it's a, you know, it's not a Joie Noël or anything like that where Christmas right. is what it's all about. You know, it's more just, yeah, it's, it's, it's Christmas honestly being used as a device to, again, I keep repeating myself, you know, you're talking about, uh, ubiquity mm-hmm. and I'm talking about underscoring that it, 
Christmas is a device used to underscore the the situation or the temperament of the characters or the uh, uh, sadness of the world. Um, Goodfellas has Christmas in it, but uh, right. I mean, part of that is just I think showing the passage of time. Yeah, you know, because Goodfellas takes place over a long period of time. So. Yeah, and yeah, Christmas makes for a really handy shorthand. Uh, yeah, it just like. Uh, time you see how they didn't have santa hats on and now they do that means time has passed now they don't again more time has passed yeah uh another war movie real quick full metal jacket um uh i think has a little bit of christmas in it um now uh okay i'm almost done uh i'm almost wrapped up here there's a lot of stuff we don't need to talk about but there's one i do want to talk about because it's this is one of those movies that made no impact when it came out was probably mostly dismissed for being a a run in the mill studio comedy, but actually has a lot of charms and I think has gained more appreciation, uh, as it's gone on. Did you ever see the Ryan Reynolds vehicle, just friends? I did not, but I did see that title pop up, uh, as I was researching this. Yeah, because it, it is a, uh, it, we should have talked about it last year when we did home for the holidays. Cause it is a mm-hmm. home for the holidays movie. It's, uh, uh, Ryan Reynolds plays a successful Los Angeles, uh, like a and R record company exec or mm-hmm. something, I think, um, who's going home for the holidays. Uh, and he is hoping to, uh, he was a nerd in high school. Uh, you know, we're talking about like fat suit flashbacks. Right. Um, and he's hoping to reconnect with, uh, uh, his crush, Amy smart, um, as herself. No, not really. Uh, that'd be funny. <laughs> Um, but when it's a, it's a perfectly sweet and funny movie there, I like both of them. Uh, but the thing that sells the movie is Anna Ferris, who plays a, uh, pop star on his label who accompanies him on his trip, uh, sort of uninvited. Um, and she's just, uh, uh, it's, 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 it must be so, must've been so freeing for Anna Ferris to be like, so I have no character arc or impact on the plot at all. I just get to act crazy in every scene. Um, and, uh, it's, it's a delight. She's um, often at her best, uh, when she's doing that. I maintain that she would have been a really good Harley Quinn. Uh, yeah. I mean, in a good movie, I didn't see Suicide Squad, but if there were a good movie with Harley Quinn, sure. uh, Anna Ferris would be great at it. Um, but uh, yeah, Just Friends is something that is definitely worth worth checking out. It's a it's a funny movie, and it is part of that. Um, Anna Ferris deserves your respect. Uh, sort of like Just Friends and the House Bunny would make a great like double feature because they're movies that I don't think that I think are too too conventional to for movie snobs to really spend yeah. much time with, but are both uh, really good movies that are really funny because of Anna Ferris. Well, and she's great in, she's not in it much, but she's great in Lost in Translation as well, playing another, like, actress who's just really vapid and yeah. ridiculous. Uh, and she's also very good in Keanu. Oh, I didn't know she was in that. Yeah. Uh, um, playing herself, I believe. Oh, that's great. Um, obviously, a version of herself. Smiley Face, which is an amazing movie. Um, is it actually yeah. amazing? Oh, yeah. I love Smiley Face. Oh, okay. Face. Um, um, that's Greg Araki, right? Yeah. So you won't like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's ugly. I'll tell you that. Yeah, of it course. It's an intentionally ugly looking movie. Uh, of course it is. Um, um, all right. I'm pretty much wrapped up. I'm surprised that there's one that I'm surprised you haven't mentioned. I've got, a, I've got like. a few left. Okay. Um, so I've got, uh, Iron Man three. Okay. Iron Man I, three. I have not seen it, which I'll take your word for it, which I, I what don't I doubt is you. It's like, <laughs> that would come on. <laughs> Surely. <laughs> uh, it came out in May. And so I remember a lot of people at the time saying like, why does this take place at Christmas when it comes out in May? And it's like, 
because Tony Stark is a solitary guy. And even though he has a girlfriend, like this is very much him being alone and feeling alone, especially because there's a big element of like PTSD in Iron Man three after like the events of the Avengers. Um, also with the long kiss, good night and kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Shane black clearly has a thing for Christmas. I think so. And, uh, neither of us have seen lethal weapon. Apparently oh. Christmas plays a role in that as well. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's again, that's the loneliness thing. And then obviously there's LA confidential, which I assume is what you thought I was going to say. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was surprised. I was leaving it for you to yeah. pick up. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, it's, and that one Christmas plays a, a very big role and it's a true thing. Uh, bloody Christmas was a real thing. Yeah. Um, and so I, I do like when they weave in, uh, the real world, uh, from time to time. But, uh, yeah, just this idea of, um, well, and just, and you know what, there's, I'm reminded now of that scene from catch me if you can, where, uh, Ed Exley, Guy Pierce's character, uh, there's a, there are reporters that are like reporting on like what, what Christmas is like for, you know, the LAPD and Ed Exley is on duty. And he said, he goes, Oh, the, the, the married men have Christmas Eve off. So like he even says, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) what he's basically saying is I'm alone. (laughs) So that's why I'm here. Um, but you know, stuff like that. And then you also, the first time we see Russell Crowe, he and his partner are sitting in in the car and he's watching a domestic dispute happen Mm -hmm. inside a house. It's like, that's Christmas for him. Yeah. And then he decides when he's going to, he's going to get the guy's attention by, uh, yanking down all of his Christmas decorations. And, you know, and it does play a a big role in the early part of the film. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really nice use of it. And it incorporates, uh, you know, some nice, uh, some of my favorite Christmas songs are in that. Um, Dean Martin's Christmas blues. Uh, okay. Maliki like Maka or however you say it, uh, yeah. is not one of my favorite Christmas songs, but that uh, plays a role in there. And that's also in that catch me if you can scene. That's, yes, what, it is. that's, that's right. what Tom Hanks is listening to. Um, and so, uh, one last one that I will say, and I like I that song by the way. Do you? Yeah. I think it's, I, I think I, I like that we talked about post-war like suburban, but I think that like, um, the birth of like tiki culture mm-hmm. and that, that weird period of America being obsessed with the sort of made up hodgepodge of Polynesian cultures yeah. that isn't really real. <laughs> uh, I, for some reason I like that stuff. Uh, there is a, uh, a devastating lyric in that Dean Martin song, by the way, where it goes, uh, I've done my win. <laughs> It also is contradictory, but I'll just say this. Uh, I've done my window shopping. There's not a store I've missed, but what's the use of stopping when there's no one on your list? Oh my God. <laughs> Isn't that horrifying? Uh, but anyway, um, there is one movie that is Christmas. I don't know if Christmas even plays a role, but Christmas music does. Um, speaking of Christmas music with sad songs, I had to look okay. it up to make sure I had the, the, the lyrics right. Uh, now when you see, hear the song, have yourself a merry little Christmas, which is one of my all time favorite songs, it's marvelous. uh, all time favorite Christmas songs. But, um, I think the, the lyric you probably hear more, more often is hang a shining star upon the highest bow. Yeah. Um, the original lyric for that section is until then we'll have to muddle through somehow. Yeah. No. <laughs> that's, uh, well, that's, that's the, very sad. I mean, that's, it's so many of these great 
Christmas songs were World War II. And mm-hmm. it was like, I'll Be Home for Christmas is such a wonderful song. But the last line is devastating. Yeah, yeah, I'll be only, home for Christmas if only in my dreams. Yeah, I feel like we had this conversation. We have years. had it because it's it's yeah. the the beauty of that song is has only really come about uh, in in my life in like the last few years where I'm like that song's kind of amazing. Um, but uh, okay, so I've got two more that I actually just thought of. Okay, and the idea of being home for Christmas reminded me of Hateful Eight, where it's it's more just. <clears throat> They're in the midst of, of snow. They don't really talk about Christmas except Michael Madsen talking about how he's going home for Christmas with his mom. Like Christmas right. has provided him uh, a story. Yeah. Um, but as far as, uh, again, the, this movie that has Christmas music, but to my knowledge, none of it takes place on Christmas, but I might be wrong about that. I don't recall. Uh, is Mother Night starring oh, Nick Nolte. I've that for a long time. Where... Uh, the song white Christmas by Bing Crosby Mm -hmm. plays uh, a big role in the, in the film. And I believe is the song that is playing at the very end when the main character hangs himself. And and so it's like, Oh, that's, and it's, it's, there's an ironic use to it, but it's very much this, the, the feeling of, um, uh, like Bing Crosby and, and, the song white Christmas and like the little record, like being sent off to like soldiers and stuff, uh, in world war two. And so I think the main character, uh, cause it takes place during that time. The main character, I think gets like packages sent to him by the government. And some of them are just like a bunch of records of white Christmas. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's a great, by the way, that's a great movie. I really like mother night. Yeah. I remember liking it a lot. Um, uh, another one that just occurred to me isn't on my very long list uh, because it's just a very brief uh, part, but it's the the sound of it is etched my memory is uh, Madeline the recording of Madeline Stowe's recorded uh, or like distorted voice saying "Have a Merry Christmas" in Twelve Monkeys. Oh wow! Do you remember that? Uh, I do not remember that, but I haven't seen that movie. In so a while. the the with the people who send Bruce Willis back in time right. are like, uh, if you find out anything, call this number and leave a message. We'll get it. All these, you know hundreds of years in the future mm-hmm. or whatever, we'll get it. Um, and, uh, they decide that when, when he's, he is convinced when he goes back in time that he's crazy, that this didn't happen. And he's like, feels free. And they call the number and leave just sort of like a jokey message mm-hmm. because of like, this isn't real. And so Madeline, so sort of jokingly says, have a Merry Christmas. And then when he gets back and they play it for him, it's all, it's all warped because it's, been on this tape for hundreds yeah. of years and it's this very warped voice of Madeline Stowe oh. saying have a Merry Christmas oh. <laughs> I don't like that at all um, uh, yeah. yeah you should watch 12 Monkeys again pretty good yeah I, I remember liking it a lot at the time um, so I'm trying to think you know what okay I associate uh, a lot of Wes Anderson movies with Christmas huh you know, there's the use of of um, of Christmas music in and like sleigh bells and stuff in like Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums. Okay, uh, and Rushmore does take place over the course of a year, and so I think Christmas might play a role, but not such that I recall immediately. Um, but yeah, and then I think just some of the imagery of Royal Tenenbaums just reminds me of Christmas, even if it isn't uh, a Christmas movie uh, yeah. at all. But um, so I think that's. 
All right, I think me, that's it for me. Let me run through just a couple. Just want to mention, I had forgotten, by the way, that Die Hard Two is also a Christmas movie. Yes, because I haven't seen Die Hard Two in so long because I didn't. I've never really liked it. Um, when Harry Met Sally is probably more thought of as a New Year's Eve thing because that's where the climax takes place. Yeah. But there's Christmas stuff uh, before that. Um, the Manchurian Candidate, uh, Toy Story, another War One, Das Boot, um, Ordinary People. Um, mm. Love story. It's been a while, but I think that's like a, a passage of time thing as well. Okay. Um, what else? Uh, Moonstruck movie. I love um, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Um, Ghostbusters two. Um, we didn't talk about Bridget Jones's diary, which uh, has plenty of Christmas stuff in it. And I haven't I, seen it. I haven't seen it in a long time. Um, and children of men. Um, and you know, I don't remember Christmas at all in that. In that uh, movie. yeah, I, it's kind of, uh, uh, faded for me, uh, as well, but, uh, it's on the list. Uh, all right. Well, this, uh, this was, uh, we don't, we don't often do like Christmas themed episodes. No. Um, yeah. Despite the fact we've been doing this almost 10 years, this is yeah. only like our second. And I think, I think one of the reasons is that like, there's not much you can comb out of it except maybe, you know, it, you can talk about like sincere Christmas movies, ironic Christmas movies, and yeah. then what we just talked about. You yeah, know. I guess I'm sure we could drill down in next year or in five years when we decide to do another Christmas sure. episode, we'll find something, uh, yeah. uh, really, really specific to do. Um, Christmas movies with ghosts in them. Sure. Um, there's, we could do an entire episode on, adaptations of a christmas carol i would love that uh in fact i think that's something you rec- you suggested just last week <laughs> I'm realizing. i believe i did like, yes that's i thought right. i thought i just came up with this idea and i was <laughs> yeah. like wait that sounds familiar so, all right seven days ago tyler said that there's a, a a video that's been floating around where somebody took 400 different adaptations of a christmas carol and edited them all together into one story oh wow which is kind of awesome uh, all right. Uh, you can find us at battleship pretension.com. That's where all of our movie reviews are, all our past episodes, all our future episodes will be there. If you uh, wait around long enough and keep hitting refresh, um, you can email us at David, at battleship pretension.com or Tyler, at battleship pretension.com. You can follow me, David on Twitter at Davy pretension. You can follow Tyler at Tyler pretension. Uh, now let me guess what's going on in more than one lesson. You talked about around the world in 80 days. No. Oh, we will talk about it in <laughs> okay. a few weeks. Uh, no, what, uh, what you can hear about is an in-depth discussion of my, uh, my paper that I wrote, uh, in which I discuss, um, what I call Christian social drama as an emerging genre and why it is important for people to recognize that. Sounds like good stuff. Uh, my other podcast will be coming back soon. I'm putting, uh, I got, I got gears in motion. So, Hey, watch this. We'll be back soon. That reminds me, by the way, um, if, I mean, I, I if any of you are interested, uh, you know, handy with like design and stuff and want to come up with a logo for, Hey, watch this, or even want to take the existing lo- logo and change it. So it doesn't say Paul, cause Paul is not part of the show anymore. Um, uh, feel free to do that. Uh, I guess Tyler could do that pretty yeah. easily. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I forgot in Photoshop. Uh, I forgot that you know Photoshop. Uh, but I, I'd love to see your ideas if, if you're interested anyway. Um, but, uh, you know, don't put yourself out. Uh, <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.
This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.